0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 47. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Good day to you, Dr. Woolman.
1: And greetings and Happy New Year to you, Christina. Oh,
0: Happy New Year of the
1: Serpent. Yeah. Do we say Xinya Guailu, Or do we say Gong Hei
0: Either or, they both work. Boy, your you accent's say? really good. You've been practicing. What do you say? Uh, usually, kong hei fa hmm Yeah, because that's the Cantonese version. But, you know, I've been learning the Mandarin version because of my son learning Mandarin, of course.
1: Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I'll be your medical guide along with Christina as we travel each week through the healthcare galaxy searching toward optimal health and we're still searching (laughs) i think we're i think we're coming close to that
0: we we are well yeah yeah you know the the more we hear about this flu though i don't know about that you know um i'd like to remind all our viewers that uh they can ask a question online of course in our little comment box or they can actually call in uh to ask the question directly themselves and uh, just to remind everybody of that number, it is 323-476-3672, and their PIN is 454-380-POUND. So uh, please feel free to ask any of your questions and comments, and and we will share it with the guest, and I will share it with Dr. Wollman as well.
1: So That's right. And speaking of guests, we have a very special person on today. Uh This is a colleague and a dear friend of mine. Her name is Barbara Abruzzo. And her story is going to be a very interesting one and inspiring one. We always talk about uh, the different parts of what our program is about. One is to show the heart and soul of uh, the healers, and she certainly has a heart and soul that you will see. Uh, Also, uh, the path of different careers that people can take all of her interesting career paths all around health over uh, a lifetime.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, she also has been a primary care provider for her parents, and she's gone through a number of health care issues throughout uh, her life. So we're going to learn uh, many things today about Healthcare from every point of view. But I think the thing that's most interesting for me is I know that many people talk about healthcare and how it needs to change and how it's broken and all of these problems that they have with it. Well, Barbara is one of the true pioneers in making change uh, because of all of her experiences. Uh, She is at the forefront of helping to change the way the system works and the way people can benefit from that. So uh, Mm. I don't want to waste any more time. I'd rather be talking with her than listening to myself, Uh, (laughs) but I could talk for hours about her. So I would like to, at this time, introduce our audience to Barbara Abruzzo. Christina, Barbara.
0: Hello, Barbara. Thank you for honoring us here at YHTV. Hi, Christina. Hi, Glenn. How are the both of you? We're
1: We're doing great. (laughs) (laughs)
2: that's great that's great
1: Barbara uh, there's so many parts that I want to talk about but as a medical guide I always like to start out the show telling people the path that we may take and I know in this case that uh, our path will probably change from what I even think we're going to do today but the first part I want to talk about and get to know you a little bit uh, as we go through your whole journey in a timeline uh, the first question I have is, when, why, how did you decide to become a healer? That's that's the important part for me at the beginning here. So could you talk to us about that for just a few moments?
2: Sure. Um, uh, so I've been in the healthcare system actually my entire life. From the time I was a little girl, uh, I had... Um, Orthopedic ish- I thought they were just orthopedic issues, but as a nine-year-old, I had uh, orthopedic surgery on both my ankles. I had ankle fusions. And then three years later, I was hospitalized. Um, I had scoliosis and I had a full thoracic spinal fusion with a bone graft. And I was in a body cast uh, for a whole year, flat in bed when I was only 12, going into 13 year old. Um, so it was a very much a character shaper for me. And, um, you know, I was very, I was fine throughout all of that and uh, remained very functional, although I had some limitations. I certainly was never going to be a track star, but I had, you know, some limitations and, um, I had always wanted to be, I was very interested in psychology and wanted to become a clinical psychologist. And as things unfolded, I became a a registered nurse and wound up working in neonatal intensive care for five years. And, um, from that point on, I, I actually uh, fractured my ankle. It was kind of an accident how I slipped into the business aspects of healthcare Um but i had nothing better to do you know i had a, a cast on my on my ankle and i saw an ad in the new york times and uh responded to they were looking for somebody to manage their new york operation it was a national firm and i called and before i knew it when my cast was off i was being flown out to kansas city and i my was given the position and was so good at uh the business aspects of healthcare that I I was promoted very, very quickly to a regional manager and then a VP. And then I ultimately went out on my own and started my own hospital staffing businesses. And then all after that, had the first um, home care business ever to take home ventilated dependent children. It had never been done in the United States. I still don't believe we did it because we had all these babies that were chronically Dependent um on ventilators, and yet they got to go home and live at home with their parents and so we we provided round the clock nursing but during this entire time um and then I went back to school while uh, and I became a psychotherapist i i uh and uh started to do group therapy and um oh, was always, always, when I would meet somebody at any even social event, family members, friends, strangers, if someone told me that they were struggling with something, um, you know, it could be anything from they had the flu to, you know, an elderly parent who needed care or had Alzheimer's or, anything, I could tell them not only what foods to avoid and what to eat, what supplements to take, but also um, uh, w- which physicians to see, which practitioners, you know, uh, holistic and integrated practitioners to see that would support their healing process. Like the whole healing journey made so much sense to me because I paid such close attention, even as a little girl, when I was hospitalized to what worked and what didn't work for me and for others. And then as a, a licensed healthcare professional, the same thing, I was acutely aware of what was working and what wasn't working. And um and during this process I had also become a meditator and gotten very involved in holism and uh started to study with different healers and practitioners um from Reiki and you know just many, many different types of treatments and therapies. And so people's said, why not, you know, they came back to me and said, everything you told me to do worked and this was really wonderful. You should do this for a living. And uh, ultimately, that's how I wound up to become a healthcare navigation specialist, that I really looked at what was I really doing and I was helping people safely navigate the system to find the right and best care. So I don't see any separation for me. It's really, I've been in the system, Practically since birth, because when I went to India to do volunteer work there, I came back with amoebas and parasites and was treated with Flagyl, which is very neurologically toxic and really decompensated. And that's when I learned that I actually came into the world with a genetic disorder that's a a peripheral nervous system disorder. So it affects the arms and the legs. And that's why I needed to have those ankle surgeries as a little girl and had the secondary scoliosis. So... From, and and the, the disorder is considered, it's very slowly progressive, it's considered incurable. And so when I work with patients now, even when they come to me with, I was just diagnosed with an incurable disorder, I tell them not to even use that word, that all that means is that the doctor who diagnosed them does not know uh what treatments might work, but that they can find their own path to healing and that I can help them on that path to find their own way to what will work for them. So uh, that's a very long answer to, to a very mm. short question as to how did I get to be a healer?
1: No, it's perfect. Uh, actually, it was a very nice summary of everything. So, it And thank you for that. It, it seems that um, even before you were born, you were coming into this world <laughs> needing healing and it it seems like as you go along each step of the way there are choices that can be made and certainly we see people make uh, choices when someone may be in a body cast at age 12 when you're supposed to be out thinking about senior proms and all those kind of things uh, or some kind of a prom and socializing and everything you you seem to have this uh, ability to come up with good choices based on healing, and it seems like that's gone your entire way, guiding you from both sides of the issue.
2: Yeah, I I feel that um, you know I'm I'm very. I'm on a spiritual path, and even before I was formally on a spiritual path as a little girl, I always felt very connected and really listened to my own inner guidance. You know, I, I paid very close attention, and it wasn't just visual and, you know, auditory, it was what am i feeling does this feel okay to me or not am i o- okay with this and um and my parents were italian immigrants so they didn't really ask a lot of questions i feel that even the surgeon i wound up with you know for the longest time people said why did th-? because what i knew was that i walked on my toes as a little girl and everybody said oh how cute you'll she'll be a ballerina and um I wound up with one of the top surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and he did both my ankle and my spinal surgery. And my surgeries are brilliant. Like when I see doctors now, they cannot believe that this doctor did this. It's called a triple arthrodesis on both my ankles. It's such a complex surgery. And um that they don't like to do the surgery even now because there's so many complications from the surgery, and yet the surgery he did on me was just perfect, pure perfection. So, and I feel it was total grace that that unfolded that way. That I um am, am in the world. To not only I, some people learn about health and healing didactically, you know they go to school and they learn. They they are trained to do particular types of treatments and therapies. And I've done that, but I feel that my real training has come is experiential. That my experience has shown me how to facilitate healing for myself. And because of all my other trainings, I'm able to support others to do that. And so, yes, it has it has been going on since birth. And, uh, and I'm very grateful for it, even though there's been a lot of challenges, you know?
1: Yes, certainly. And we'll probably talk about some of those challenges as we move forward. Just as a curious moment here, is there a difference between navigating yourself and navigating others?
2: Well, I don't. I, for me, it's navigating the healthcare system. So, uh, so with each person is unique, and and I could be working with the both of you, and let's say you both came to me with the same health
1: issues. You're and talking about I, Christina and I.
2: Yes, and you came to me with the same, the identical diagnoses, and let's say I sent you to, I made recommendations, referrals to three doctors to get opinions, and the both of you could see those three same doctors, and yet Christina might pick Dr. A, and you might pick Dr. B, and if I had the same health issues, I might pick Dr. C. And so so each person is unique and it's based upon not only their age and their culture and their belief systems, um, their intellects, their uh, everything. And so even though I, what I'm looking for is the best physicians and practitioners who are not only clinically competent, but relational, that really care about me or my clients as a human beings, not just as a diagnosis or a body part body organ um, and and then it's really up to the patient the client what what which treatment which doctor. Resonates with them, so I support them by asking the right questions, so that they're able to find their own way through the system. So for me, it's like if we were shooting the rapids and I was an expert and you had never done it before, I would know where all the dangerous areas were um, and would be guiding you. But it's it's your experience. It's and and. So when you ask the question, is it different? It's different for each person, whether I'm doing it for myself or I'm supporting another, uh, because there are so many things that come into the equation of, you know, what is this person's particular path uh, of their own healing process? and for some people it's much more psycho psychological much more spiritual for others they're really in a physical crisis and it's very important to get them into the to the right surgeon to the right hospital and to minimize risks while hospitalized and then to deal with how that experience was for them does that answer the question
1: Yes, it does. Uh, and if I have other parts to that, I'll probably ask them in a different way at some point. But it definitely answered the question. Very nice. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of that and dealing with doctors and healthcare, and again, bouncing between uh, being a provider and being someone who needs uh, healing at certain times, uh, do you see any changes that have happened in medicine in your lifetime?
2: <laughs> um, for the better? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a really interesting question, Glenn. So, well, yeah, yes, of course. I, I think that, um, you know, all the new technologies um, allow for certain things to unfold. Um, it's a really interesting question because I feel a little biased in that since I've been in the system and I will say not just as a patient as a little girl, but from the time I was training to become a registered nurse and then practicing nursing at Columbia and North Shore Hospital here in New York, that, um... I worked in critical care areas and um even then there was such an acute nursing shortage and now it's at like a ridiculous, ridiculous levels. I mean, people don't realize how compromised they are when they enter a hospital, even mm-hmm. when it's a great hospital with a great physician because there's such a nursing shortage and that... um the majority of hospitals, you know, the, the proper nurse to patient ratio should be eight to one when you're in a medical or surgical unit. Mm-hmm. And in an ICU, it should be one to one. And, or, or CCU, coronary care unit, intensive care unit. And do you have any idea? Well, I mean, you probably do, Glenn, but, but What the standard in most hospitals is, what the nurse patient ratio is on a medical
1: surgical floor. Christina, take a guess. On a surgical floor,
0: oh my gosh, I would think. Yeah. Oh, I I would think the numbers that you quoted were still low. Uh, So, I mean, if you're saying that there's been a big change, maybe twelve to one.
2: So, a typical, like a good hospital, a really good hospital, it's 20 to 1. And in a hospital that's very poorly staffed, it can go up to 40 to 1. And the, the New York Times uh, did, uh, wrote an article a few years ago. They did a very long term study that for every patient, a nurse has above the ratio that should be eight to one. So if the nurse has nine patients, and I'm saying typically a nurse will have 20 patients in a good hospital. So they have ten 12 patients above what they should have to provide good care, quality care, um, to do everything that's necessary. Your chances of dying increase by 15% for every patient a nurse has above the ratio of eight to one. So when you went to a hospital, so you really want to stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible. You know, hospitals have their purpose. Glenn was a trauma specialist. You know, you really need that emergency room. We need hospitals. But you don't want to be Lottie dying into a, into a hospital. It's really... um you you really need to take great care and you should have private duty nursing round the clock if you can afford it so that you are not compromised and you should know how to minimize risk of complications when you're hospitalized and but more importantly try to stay healthy by you know healthy diet and lifestyle so that and by Really, managing your health issues so that you don 't ab- ab- wind up in a hospital and so there 's that that piece of it, and of course there 's also a critical shortage of primary care physicians so and and as Glenn knows there's now. You know, we went once HMOs came into the picture. We went from where you could see your general practitioner who was really skilled at handling many, many, many things. You know, almost the majority of your health issues and you would see a specialist if you needed surgery. Now there are so many specialties and subspecialties in medicine that many your, your Many times, if you're seeing more than one physician, other than a primary care physician, an internist, your doctors aren't speaking to one another, and that can really get you into trouble. So care becomes very fragmented, and and things can drop through those through those cracks, those fragments, and so so. So healthcare consumers need to be very vigilant or have a healthcare navigation specialist like myself help them organize and communicate with all their practitioners so that everybody's on the same page. And then, and then we have the the issues of what's going on with super infections in hospitals. And it, and again, the, you know, the heavy use of antibiotics for m- ridiculous reasons, like you have the flu or a cold really has led to, um, you know, bacteria in hospitals, the superbugs developing where whatever a hospital uses, they really can't keep the bacteria count down. Mm. And, but, but, there are these technological advances in medicine, like we know more about the brain than we've ever known. You know Charlie Rose had this the great eight part special on um where he had all these neurologists from all over the country, and it was just amazing they took you from conception to elder care and Alzheimer's and what actually happens with the brain. And they really know so much more now because of the imaging and the technology. And, you know, surgeries uh, can be done so differently now in ter- using robots and things that we could never do before. So it's less invasive. So in that way, it's much better. But I feel that the other side is so skewed, Glenn, Um, that patients are really compromised
1: from an integrative point of view. Are you seeing more doctors that are open to integrative or combinatorial medicine? And are you seeing doctors that are more caring and uh, holistic in a sense? (laughs)
2: So it's hard for me to judge am I seeing more because my my go-to is to always look, even if a doctor doesn't consider himself or herself holistic or integrative, I look for practitioners, doctors as well as other practitioners who, as I said before, are relational. And to me, that is somebody who went into medicine because they really love helping people you know they're very people oriented it would be a doctor like you someone who's very communicative and but also brilliant you know is really knows the whole clinical part piece but really cares about what's happening to this human being Mm -hmm. and whether they're frightened or not or do they understand, you know, that really understanding that there's more than just a diagnosis and the treatment is either medication or surgery. That many times just sitting with a patient and listening to them is so healing in and of itself that, that the patient feels that this person really understands the whole picture. Um, so I, 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 Because my go-to is to 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 do this, like I, I every year I'll go to the integrative medicine conference here. There's it's going to take place again the end of February in New York City. And it's a wonderful conference, but it's like singing to the choir. The only people that are there are the integrated medical doctors and practitioners. So we all know each other, but you step out of that conference and everything that's going on from, you know, they'll be, they'll have somebody who's, who's talking about Tai Chi and meditation, you know, it. In, and breath work in terms of healing. And of course, all the other things from homeopathy to osteopathy and, you know, nutritional intravenous and of uh, always nutrition and lifestyle management. Um, but you step outside of that. Many times when I am working with a patient and then, and they need a good surgeon or let's say a picking a good cardiologist you know, I would love to find a cardiologist in every case who's also practicing integrative medicine, but that's very difficult to do. And so what I tell the client is, you know, this is a great doctor, great doctor, clinically competent, very relational, but may not buy into the whole nutrition piece as well as the supplements. So, you know, feel free to ask this doctor about it. But the doctor may either tell you, I don't know, or may just tell you not to do it because they don't know. Because as you know, Glenn, um, in medical school, you, you know, most doctors spend about two hours on nutrition. And unless they're trained, they go after their, their training to, to study nutrition. It's 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 only now starting to change, where some of the medical schools are really making that you know part a uh, 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 an important part of the program. Mm.
0: Um, a question has uh, just come in recently uh, for you, Barbara. What kind of holistic workers do you find that she works that you work with most?
2: Um. Again, my, my, so my primary belief is that even when I'm referring you to an internist or pick any type of medical or surgical specialist, you know, I also feel to support a patient's healing process that seeing a board certified osteopath, so a doctor of osteopathic medicine and an acupuncturist, are really really essential to facilitate healing. So whatever your medical doctor or surgical specialist is recommending, so even pre-operative and post-operative, I think seeing an osteopath and an acupuncturist is essential. But that would be the case regardless of what your medical history was. You could have irritable bowel syndrome, arthritis, asthma, you know, cardiovascular disease, um, anything. And osteopathy and acupuncture will help dramatically. And then in other cases, and I also feel there should be some type of movement. And so that movement could be very gentle Hatha yoga, if that's what you could do. Pilates, I think, is a wonderful movement work. Wonderful and very safe. And at the, we're just walking, but I, I feel that people need to be moving as well as to have this, the hands on, uh, work of an osteopath who's doing the craniosacral sacral work and an acupuncturist who's also you know, boosting your immune system and really supporting you and your body to facilitate its own healing process. So those would be the two things.
0: Mm. Do you work a lot with uh, naturopaths?
2: I personally don't because there aren't a lot in... I work with clients all over the country. Mm. Um, and even in the English speaking world, the UK and uh, Australia and Canada, Um But in, in New York, naturopaths are not permitted to practice here. So, uh, um, they're, they're kind of under the radar. They, they're only permitted to practice, I think, in 18 states. But I, I'm not sure about that. And I don't, I don't want to misquote, but I know that there's a limited number of states where they're permitted to practice. Mm. Um, and because of that, um, and the majority of my clients are new york new jersey based i would have uh, i 'm working with them on the nutrition and the lifestyle management supplements and I have doctors who who uh work with um the nutritional IVs, you know, where you're getting high vitamin and mineral types of IVs, also using Sanam and Heal remedies. These are, one is an, uh, homeopathic remedies and the other is isopathic. Um, and so there are doctors here in, in New York that work with these remedies and I, I like to send clients to them if they need that type of support. And that would be typically, especially the Sanam remedies. Many, many homeopaths are trained to use these Sanam remedies. So I'm actually sending them to medical doctors who are doing that.
0: Mm. Wow. That's, uh, it's, uh, I, I'm still, get, I'm from Canada, so I'm still getting used to all the different states and what they do allow and what they don't allow. Yeah
2: and it's really a shame because you know i've met some magnificent magnificent naturopaths uh but you know it's 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 they're just they have to if they practice in new york they're practicing under the radar
0: mm. um c- can you repeat barbara you you saying that there were two different types of remedies one was the, uh, homeopathic remedies. And then you, you also quoted another remedy that you work with well, doctors What is, it,
2: it's, it's, it's considered isopathic. So Isopathy. the heel, the heel remedies, uh, the heel remedies, I believe are from Germany and they are considered homeopathic remedies. And the Sanum remedies are from Switzerland and they are considered isopathic. So, uh, I uh, work with a doctor in europe, uh, Dr. Thomas Rao, who's a biological medical doctor, and their whole premise is um that the body is very much like an organic garden and and just like an organic garden you if you had an infestation, you wouldn't come in and spray pesticides. you might bring in ladybugs or another type mm. of bug to to uh balance out that infestation. So biological medical doctors believe, and I believe rightly so, that your body contains a everybody can has cancer cells in their body, everybody has bacteria and viruses, etc. And that the body is has is this magnificent, has this magnificent ability to maintain homeostasis, to maintain balance. Except when the body is under extreme stress. And so Thomas makes the analogy of a toxic barrel. Like you you have this barrel and you're supposed to be putting really good things in, like good food, clean water, clean air, love, joy, you know, not exposed to environmental toxins and things like that. But when you are eating very poorly and you're very stressed, and you are also eating foods with a lot of pesticides on them or foods with a lot of antibiotics in it or just, you know, processed foods that have no life force in them that the body gets cannot tolerate, you know, stress upon stress if you're overweight and that after a while the body just says, I can't manage this, I can't maintain a state of homeostasis any longer and wherever your weak link is, and we all have one, it's usually a genetic weak link, so what your parents and your grandparents, you know, manifested in terms of their, you know. um uh types of illnesses it's it's your weak link it doesn't mean you have to you know lot some people i i will hear them say well my mother or father had died of cancer so i know that that's going to happen to me and that's not the case it's just that that is a weak link and therefore if you just like a when you buy a house and you have an engineer's report and the engineer says wow this is a solid house uh, in five years you'll need to do this but this area over here you really need to fix this now because if you don't there's going to be a cascade of problems and in the same way the biological medical doctors look at where your weak links are and a big part of that is you know do you, are you living clean is your diet really healthy um is your lifestyle healthy are Do you like the work that you do in the world? You know, is there joy in your life? And they utilize these isopathic remedies to... So first of all, they have you remove like all the bad foods and have colonics. And then they give you these IVs, especially when you're at the clinic, every day to give you these nutrients and these balancing remedies. And that's what an isopathic remedy is.
0: Mm. Wow, that's that's a whole area that I have never, not even heard of, have been familiar with. So, thank you very much. Absolutely.
1: And we're going to speak more about that in a few moments as we move on with your journey. Uh, I want to talk about. You mentioned the word infestation <laughs> a little while ago.
2: <laughs> oh, and my little infestation.
1: Okay, and, and the little. Starting, she says the little. <laughs> Starting with a a little a little baby tick bite, oh, <laughs> such a Chad. little a teeny weeny little tick bite uh, introduced a bacteria into your system. Yep. How old were you when this happened, approximately, or how many years ago? That's another way of asking.
2: It was nine years ago, and uh, so in two thousand and three, I was living in the Hamptons and had a beautiful magnificent two acres of gardens, most beautiful gardens. And I was also spraying, you know, having people spray rosemary oil which is a natural way to um kill off the tick population and had deer fencing up even though a family of five used to circle my property like three times a day wanting to come in you know it was like for them it was like having a little cocktail party on my property and uh but it's not just the deer it's the neighbor's cats and rabbits and foxes and mice and birds, everybody, you know, any animal that's coming onto the property was carrying ticks. That it, it, It's pandemic in the Hamptons as well as on the northeast coast now. Um,
1: the, it's also it's, on our coast. Really? Yeah, really? More, more in northern California, but it's also made its way to the west.
2: And also for I knew about the northwest but not as far down as you live Glenn right Uh hopefully Yeah I uh, be, because um so so when I got when I didn't know I mean I was aware because I was seeing a lot of patients with Lyme at that time and not just not patients who were bit and found the tick and, you know, had a bullseye and they were treated and fine, but patients who never knew they had Lyme, so they were walking around with chronic Lyme, but being misdiagnosed with multiple sclerosis or even ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, and many other things, you know, cardiac disease and arthritis when what they had was Lyme disease and, um, as as well as people who just didn't know what was wrong they were just very fatigued they had arthritic pain they had cardiac symptoms or they had neurological symptoms and the, the many of the doctors in the hamptons only followed the cdc protocol uh which was which is that you put a patient on 1 month of doxycycline and that's it that's the treatment protocol so they're, they 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 don't ask the doctors to do a clinical diagnosis because many patients test negative for Lyme. Uh, there's a lot of false negatives, and I was one of them. I had been tested seven times uh, as I complained about having ridiculous fatigue, like ridiculous. I could barely climb a set steps. Um, and I kept testing negative. And then I finally I wound up with very severe neurological symptoms over a weekend. I never get headaches, and I had a splitting, literally like somebody took an axe and split my skull open, type of headache for three days. And I was taking ibuprofen very high doses, and and it wasn't touching it. And I called my friend Floyd, who's a neurooptomologist, and said, "Floyd, I've had this killer headache, and I think I have Lyme." And he was like, "Lyme." He said, you could have a brain bleed. You need to get to a hospital right now. So I I said, don't you think that's overkill, Floyd? And he said, really? Because if I'm right and you're wrong, you're gonna be dead in 24 hours if you don't listen to me. So I said, Well, I'm not going to Southampton Hospital because I will never make it out of there alive. And I went, came into the city and I he did a scan of my brain at New York NYU. And I thank goodness I didn't have a bleed or a tumor. And he tested me for Lyme and the co-infections. And four days later, he said, "Not only do you have Lyme, but you have babesiosis." So my little tick was carrying Lyme and one of the co-infections. And I never found the tick or never had the bull's eye, so I didn't know how long, uh, uh, you know, uh, prior to my being tested. I had been bitten. And my sense just was... Let it was me interrupt for one start. second,
1: Barbara. Sure. Just for our audience, uh, when you're saying the target, uh, that's a skin lesion that usually comes up at the at the site of the initial tick bite, where it looks like a target with a reddened area in the center sometimes looks very clear or white. So it's a, we call it a target lesion. And sometimes that gives us an indication that we need to look forward more into the diagnosis of Lyme disease.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you, for, there are people, again, there are people who, like, even the gardeners who work out there, they, they would, they would come home from a day's work and they could have 50 ticks on them. So they were, you know, they would make sure they would take a shower and they check. Ticks like to hide in dark spaces, like between your toes, behind your, Your knee, in in your groin area, in your around your umbilicus, around your belly button, your armpit, um, behind your neck. They like to be in places where you wouldn't find them, so you can't. Because when they attach, it takes uh, a couple of days for them to, uh, you know, draw out the blood and then transmit the. The um, you know, the the release of the spirochetes of the, the that could the, if they have them. Not every tick is infected with Lyme or any of the co-infections, but there's so so many ticks now uh, out in the Hamptons where they are infected with. Lyme, and the co-infections. They're seeing so much more, so many more patients with co-infections now. And once you have a co-infection, because the, like the one that I had, the babesiosis is like having malaria. And uh you, it really, the, the spirochete will trick your immune system. They've been around since before the dinosaur, they've survived. Hmm. And they, they trick the immune system to not fight back. They literally trick it to not engage so that they can keep proliferating in your body. And it happens very, very, very quickly. Um, so it's, uh, but in terms of the type of bite, you know, a tick in the early spring is so tiny, you can take a pen and just put a dot on your, like a period on your hand, and that's how tiny it is. It's like a period at the end of a sentence. So, for you to even be able to see it would be almost impossible. Mm. And then, as it, later in the season, as you get towards the fall, they start to get a little bit larger, and so you can really see them once they're on your body. Um, but for some people, like myself, you even when they're bitten, you don't get the bullseye, which Glenn explained what that looks like. It's like a, it almost looks like a black and blue, and then it has a larger circle around it. It looks like a bullseye. The way if you were shooting darts or arrows, and um, uh, and that's that is pretty in- indicative that you've been bitten by a tick.
1: Mm, keep and us then, going and then, on your on your journey in terms of the diagnosis, and then all of the things you did for healing, where you went, traveled. Doctors okay. you worked with.
2: So so once I was diagnosed, uh, you know, my friend Floyd was not going to treat me. He's a neurooptomologist. You know, he had just done me this favor, and I went was back out in the Hamptons, and I contacted a local internist there, and he wanted to put me on doxycycline, like the standard CDC protocol, and I really resisted um, I knew about this Dr. Boriscano who had really saved he he was no longer practicing unfortunately in the Hamptons but he was this brilliant pioneer who was seeing so many patients in the Hamptons that were really decompensating like they couldn't walk They uh, they were in wheelchairs they They looked like they had multiple sclerosis and ALS. They were actually diagnosed with these things. And he started treating them, and they tested negative for Lyme. He started treating them with major doses of multiple antibiotics intravenously and then orally, as well as doing a number of other things. And he developed this protocol over 20 years um, there were people who came into his office in wheelchairs, and ultimately were re- regained their ability to walk again because they had been they were treated incorrectly for years, like with multiple sclerosis. They were on multiple sclerosis drugs, and yet they had Lyme the whole time. So the Lyme was proliferating in their bodies and taking over, and nobody was treating them for that, and they were being treated incorrectly misdiagnosed and and being given medication that they didn't even need for m- multiple sclerosis and um so i wanted to follow boriscano's protocols and m- this doctor said that he wasn't willing to do that. And because I came into the world with this neurological disorder, it's a nervous system disorder that affects the peripheral nerves, the long nerves in the body. I felt that that was my weak link. It is my weak link, you know, nervous system. And I told him that I was already having neurological symptoms, that not only did I have the headache, I am brilliant in math. You know, I had gotten like hundreds on my calculus regents and exams and had taken, and now I couldn't add simple numbers. I had also taken Skip Barber racing lessons. I had been driving a stick shift. I learned on a standard shift, um, a little MG midget, and I was a very good driver. I And I couldn't even get on the highway. I couldn't merge with traffic. I I was very frightened, like every, like my world was getting smaller and smaller. I was having a very hard time managing and I couldn't spell. And I'm an avid reader. I have a great vocabulary. I have no problems with spelling. And I couldn't spell simple words like muscle and protein, even though I'm a licensed healthcare professional. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know why it was wrong. And before I was diagnosed with the Lyme, I had even gone to Columbia Presbyterian to be tested. I thought, Maybe I had early onset dementia. That's how frightened I was, that something was very wrong with me. And the doctors that I was talking was saying, oh, it's just aging. I said, first of all, I'm not that old. And I'm telling you, this is not aging. Something is wrong with me. And um, so ultimately, when I found out it was the Lyme, I said to him, you need to put me on intravenous now. I, I want to be put on, uh, rifampin. I don't want to, I want you to follow this protocol. And he finally agreed. And I said to him, look, I'm just telling you, if you can't do it, you're not willing to do it. I have many friends who are doctors that will prescribe the medication for me and I'll just get the intravenous. You know, it was, it was a home care intravenous where they deliver the IV bags and a nurse comes and starts the IV. So I did that for a month and I was on, um, Mepron, which is a drug for malaria, which they use to treat babesiosis, as well as many supplements and special diet, like you should never eat sugar. Now, this is Boroscano's protocols you, you, because the Lyme spirochete uh, loves the sugar. It just keeps the infection mobilized. Mm. So you need to to not have any sugar or alcohol or simple carbohydrates and... Um, you need, even though you're tired, you need to be exercising as well as resting, but a lot of supplements, like about 15 different supplements, very specific to, to the treatment of Lyme disease. You need very high doses of Coenzyme Q10 and alpha lipoic acid and magnesium and, um, Calcium and, you know, of course, a multivitamin, essential fatty acids, D3, like that. And uh, certainly probiotics because you're on so many antibiotics. And then I was on oral antibiotics for almost a year until I had no symptoms. And then I was fine for a couple of years. But it's a chronic uh, situation now, unfortunately, because I never found the tick. And I never had the bullseye. I was hoping that I had gotten it in time and that we were very aggressive with the treatment and that it wouldn't turn into a chronic thing. But a couple of years later, my symptoms came back. And then I was treated. I saw a biological medical doctor in New York who uh, was doing these intravenous uh, therapies using sodium chloride. So that's not chloride IDE, but chlorite ITE. And it was almost like putting Clorox in my veins. It was very detoxifying, very challenging treatment, but it worked. I had 10 treatments every once, one a week. And then I was fine for two or three years. And then the symptoms came back again. So I just came off of eight months of antibiotic therapy, you know, had, had Glenn. Contacted me three months ago. I could never have done this interview. Uh, I just would not have had the energy to do it so i this is just something that needs to be managed and um and i I help many, many patients with Lyme's, Lyme disease manage their process.
1: You also went to Europe
2: Oh, I did. I went to the Paracelsus clinic in Europe, so that's thomas Rao that's the clinic I had told you about, and I had gone there. Um, every year two to three times a year uh, through from 2003 to 2008 and that helped dramatically because again they're doing their classic treatment is they do live blood cell analysis and then they do these IVs as I told you with the heal and serum remedies and high doses of vitamin c and micro minerals and um you get colonics and body work and energy work and uh they use this indeed but a lot of treatments are not available in the in the states um it's just an amazing place you're in the swiss alps and you're staying at a bed and breakfast where they're cooking all the organic food for you and you go to the clinic every day they have a little shuttle that runs back and forth you know it's just a few blocks away and it's It's really an amazing place. I send a lot of patients there for treatment for cancer and different types of chronic disorders, um, and they do remarkable work. Um, Unfortunately, Thomas Rao has sold the clinic, so he's there, but he's only there on a limited basis, and it's really Thomas who, you know, when I go, I, I would insist on seeing him um because i feel that he's a master and um and just a medical intuitive and really a, he's just a, a brilliant doctor so all of this has helped if anything this last round of treatment the the doctors that i'm seeing locally Said, you know, we've never had anybody whose chem chemistry profile, like all the tests that they do for the Lyme look this good. But the reason why mine looks so good is that I had been doing the treatment protocol from the Paracelsus clinic all along. Mm-hmm. It's just that the bacteria will just, you know, it gears up again, you know. So now everything's dormant. Thank goodness. So I'm, I'm just, I, I keep praying that they're going to, going to come up with a cure for Lyme.
1: It's it's an amazing story, and I've been with you at certain times when it's been painful and uh, a number of challenges, and you always seem to rise above those challenges through your spirituality, through your knowledge, through your uh, discipline, everything. It's pretty amazing. Uh, We're talking with Barbara Abruzzo, who is a healthcare professional uh, who started her own healthcare navigation, Living Well Partners. She's a, a counselor. And I know that you will have a great health tip for our listening and viewing audience <laughs> as we ask each of our guests. So through all of your spirituality, give us something, Barbara.
2: Okay. Okay. I I would say, so I'm going to say two things. One is very, what I feel spiritually and emotionally based, which is, it's very important. One of the, one of the key things that I do when I work with clients, so they come to me for any reason. Like I just got a call this morning from somebody who found me on the internet, whose father is in, is on, in the ICU at, New York Cornell Hospital on a ventilator, and they want an advocate to help them with next steps. Um, my goal is for whomever I work with to cultivate the self awareness necessary to self heal on all levels. Like, I believe that everybody's life purpose is the same, It's it's and that is to live an authentically empowered life. But in order to live an authentically empowered life, you need to be integrated, whole. And in order to be integrated and whole, you need to heal on all levels. And that would be physically, emotionally, energetically, and spiritually. And in order to heal on those levels, of course, in certain cases, you need the right doctor and treatment and medication or whatever therapy. But what you need more than anything is self awareness because it's you, it's your inner awareness of your own needs and, and what's working and not working for you. And it's very important for you to check in with yourself where you literally just quiet you just sit and you sit quietly and you scan you take a moment you you become still and you and it's you you check in you you scan your body you ask yourself if this is if what you're being told to do resonates with you is this working or not working? And for many people, they know this when they have gut reactions, and yet they ignore them, you know, where they, they might get a little pit in their stomach, or they just, they have a reaction, and they need to pay attention to those reactions. And then the other thing I would say is more a uh, functional type of thing, which is try your best to never be hospitalized in the month of July (laughs) (laughs) and that would be because all the new medical students become interns so they go from being students to medical doctors like that in a day (laughs) and you don't want to be hospitalized July 1st.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man I don't even want to get into that one but (laughs) (laughs) I know, th- I know that those two health tips are going to make the best of 2013 uh, <laughs> health tips. <laughs> those are great. I love that. Barbara, is there anything that we have not discussed that you really wanted to bring up before we uh, come to a conclusion today?
2: I don't think so. I think that... um no, I, th- I think we pretty much covered everything around, uh, you know, the, even this last piece with the health tip. I feel that it's very important that people realize first that they take, they stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible by taking great care of this vehicle that carries around their spirit. You know, it really important, your body really needs really healthy living foods and clean air and love and joy and less stress but when you're in a crisis it's really important to reach out to other someone like myself or People who label themselves as patient advocates, healthcare advocates. I define what I do as healthcare navigation specialist so that, or someone like Glenn Woman, so that you have the support and guidance. And I would always recommend that that person be a medical doctor or a registered nurse, that you have the support and guidance of someone who really understands the system and knows what a good doctor looks like, knows what good care looks like, and can help you make good choices for yourself so that you or your family member can get the best and the right care. (sighs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Take a breath on that. That was beautiful. Well said. Very well. Mm. I'm grateful to my very special guest, uh, Barbara Bruzzo, for sharing her wisdom and experience, an amazing experience uh, with all of the things that she has done and continues to do for all of us in terms of the healthcare experience. I want to thank all of my teachers and all of those that have helped me in my healing process so that I may continue on my journey. I look forward to seeing everyone uh, next week as we travel through another section of the healthcare galaxy. So until that time, thank you so much, Barbara and Christina, and I wish everyone optimal health.
0: Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Barbara. You are such an inspiration to so many, I'm sure, for this Lyme disease and Everything else in life, really. You, you've gone through such a great journey, and, and we really appreciate you honoring us with sharing so much of it. Um, and uh, we look forward to having you back on again. Well, <laughs> oh, thank
2: you, thank you so much. The both of you, really, it was a pleasure.
0: Thank you, and uh, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this new platform of education and information. Um, we're grateful for your continuous support, and look forward to hearing from you of your feedback and how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time. Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. Let me remind you that you can also contact Dr. Glenn Woolman at myyogahub.com or follow him on Twitter at Glenn Woolman, and of course through his own site, glenwoolman.com, where we encourage you to learn about his metaphor, square breath. Until we meet again, namaste. You no, know, this is what sort of baffles me. I, I wonder if these indigenous cultures out there might have some kind of herbal remedy. Do you know? Because, I mean, they live in the woods. They live in the forest. They live in the greenery. And yet, do we hear of them dying or or being threatened by Lyme disease?
2: I have, no kidding, when I tell you I have explored, we didn't even go into that. I mean, I have Mm -hmm. done... There, there isn't a remedy that's out there for Lyme <laughs> mm. that I have tried because it's been nine years. And, um, that they, what they're finding is that they, they feel because people ask this question. They're saying, well, if the lime tick was around for millions of years mm-hmm. and since civilization began, they even found it in, um, a caveman. They found, wow. uh, it had lime. So how is it that? But they said, ju- not everyone who's bitten by a tick that has Lyme, they may, they can walk around with Lyme and not manifest it oh. where, you know, in the same way that you said, you're not normally someone who, even when you get the flu, you're really functional. You know, you, right. you don't, you don't. So some people, um, It's, it's just not the way it interacts with their body. You know, they're not, and they're very intelligent. Like with me, they attacked neurologically with somebody who would have a a cardiac weak link. They'll go right for the pericardium of the heart. And so I, I, What I am actually terrified. I I sold my house and I even when friends invited me to go back to the Hamptons. (laughs) I just don't want to be there. I just don't uh, I I the idea of getting bitten again, I I I really you
1: live in a high rise?
0: (laughs) I do.
2: I I live in New York City. I mean I have an apartment for like twenty-five years. I live in a beautiful part of the village in the historic district Mm. on Low Fifth. Um and my apartment is set up like a beautiful sanctuary. It's 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 very still. You can, you would come here and you wouldn't even know you were in New York City. Mm. I mean, it's very quiet and still. And I know where to go and what to do to 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 avoid that vibration. However, I don't want to be any place where there are lime ticks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, you have to also realize, Christina, that uh, at the beginning when Barbara started talking about someone said, oh, you need to take doxycycline, and she did not want to take that simple little one dose or that one month uh, treatment of Mm -hmm. doxycycline because of her knowledge of antibiotics and her, you know, knows the way it does, and then she ends up having to take it for eight months or nine months. So you can you can see the uh, process in Barbara where she knows she doesn't want to take it, but she knows she has to take it, and how she was able to um, come together at peace with that process.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Because sometimes... You need you know antibiotics do work, they're there for a reason, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. like surgeries and different things. It's just that they shouldn't be misused or abused Absolutely. and um and there was no question that I couldn't do without it. I mean, I really thought I was dying Christina, that's how sick I mm. was
0: yeah
2: so and and I'm you know and and I, like I was so grateful even now when I went back on the antibiotics this time um Because I could see I was getting my life back, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, I'm very vibrant and I just didn't have it. It it just just sucks the life force out of you. I look at
0: you and I can't imagine you finding it difficult to take the one step because you have this energy and this life and this life force in you that's so powerful.
1: It is so, and it's that it's I have to answer one part that you can then answer, another is that that life force within Barbara, which is part of the reason that I wanted her on the show today, um even at times when she was totally wiped out, where speaking a sentence was <laughs> over exertion <laughs> and it was devastating, and not being clear of mind and not being clear in body, all of these things that she's had for almost her entire lifetime, she's still was able to continue to uh, make the right decisions, do the right things. And sometimes even in that process, there were times when she couldn't help others, but there were many times when she was still not well. She was still navigating for other people and giving them the things that they needed. A remarkable story.
2: Mm. You know, and and it's, um, I just feel... uh... I, I'm just grateful. That's, I, I just am grateful. I'm grateful that I, I've been able to heal, and I'm grateful that I can support others in their healing process.